The views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of WSIC. All systems are a go. Ladies and gentlemen, hold on to your seats. Taking care of Iredell with North Carolina State Representative Jeff McNeely is about to begin in five, four, three, two, one. Good morning, Iredell County. I hope everybody's doing well out there. It's a little dreary. It's all right into all of our lives. A little rain must fall. Uh, actually, it feels kind of refreshing. Uh, went up, actually went to the mountains, went off loafing with a bunch of friends way back from college days. And uh, it's the hottest I've ever been in the North Carolina mountains up around Cherokee, Maggie Valley. But had fun. So anyway, so glad for a little bit of a break today. Uh, got a great show, I think, today. Got Representative Wayne Sasser is going to call in. Wayne's from down in Stanley County. Um, he's been a good friend of mine. He come in at the same time, basically, I did. and uh, We've uh, become real good friends, and I, I, I lean on Wayne a lot, and we work on a lot of products, projects together. And, and going to talk about uh, PBMs. Pharmacy benefit managers. Most of y'all out there don't have any clue what that is. I'm going to tell you what I did neither. But I've learned a lot since I've got in there. And so you need to hear this. To me, it's about the most un-American thing that I've ever heard of in a business model. And it happens, and it really hurts our local pharmacists, uh, the independent ones. Uh, so we're going to talk about that and budget and a lot of other things. Wayne's a uh, appropriation chair so anyway going to jump right in but if anybody like to call in got something they want to get off their chest off the top of their head 704-873-1400 please give me a holler let's hear what you got to say um well we had a little debate oh we haven't got a caller somebody's got something going on let's hear what we got hey this is representative jeff mcneely who's this hey good morning jeff this is william hey How william I'm good. I'm going to get you to come on and help me co-host. We, we, we just need to hang out. We think a lot alike, I think. Go ahead. What's happening? Um, well, I just wanted to apologize to you. I sounded a little harsh last week when I called in, but I tell you, it's really frustrating and disappointing on what's going on in this country. It is. And it's our fault. It's our fault. It's my fault. It's everybody's fault. We hire these people to do a job, and they're not doing the job. And it was really disappointing what happened last week to watch some of that debate. Um, it was not encouraging, in my opinion. Um, they just talked to one another and talked about one another, uh, chastised one another, and didn't want to talk about what they're going to do if they were to be hired up there to Washington, D.C. Yeah. I, and then, I think the moderators kind of let it get out of hand. They didn't, they didn't reel them in real well. Yeah, and then the other thing was, of course, Donald Trump's mugshot. You know, that one was like the shot that was heard across the world, so to speak. And that that was just that's just very sad, that in is. my opinion. Whether right or wrong, it's not the point. The point of the matter is that it was sad that that had to happen in our country. That that's where we're at right now in our country. That people, so many people, are so worried about incarcerating someone than trying to fix the problem that we've got going on in today's society in this country. And it's just really sad. It's just sad. Well, you know, I look at I look at all that they're doing to Donald Trump, 
And then I look at Russia. And, you know, uh, the guy that was the head of, of Wagner, that, that uh, military group, uh, mercenaries or whatever, uh, him and pretty much everybody in his upper echelon, uh, plane crashed right after it left uh, uh, Moscow the other day. Uh, of course, Vladimir Putin had nothing to do with any of that. Planes crash, you know, but it was just kind of that gum convenient after he had just been there and they had had discussions and it went down. And so, you know, that's one way to get rid of your opponent or your problems. And then I look at Joe Biden and Merrick Garland and the DOJ and say, well, there's another way to get rid of your problems. We'll just go ahead and arrest you and then we'll have puppet uh, uh, DAs all across the land, uh, district attorneys here and there, we'll have them do the same thing until we smear you enough. Or, you know, the real thing about this is is the money. Uh, they're going to use our tax dollars to try to outspend and break Donald Trump and his defenses in all these different uh, jurisdictions. I mean, it's going to cost an ungodly amount of money. And the sad part is we're spending just as much of taxpayers' money, but, you know, I don't seem to bother nobody. Yeah, the, uh, spending our money is the frustrating part. That's just enough to make a preacher mad. <laughs> and think about it is, you know, I know that we can't take this money with us and all that, but we've got to try to use it, utilize it while we're here on this earth. And the money that's being spent right now and the ways that's being spent, it, it is frustrating, that's for sure. Yeah. But the only defense we really have is people like you that are trying to do a job and we voted you in, and that's really, we as the American people, the only defense that we have is to go to the voting booth every that's time it. there's time to vote. That's I mean, that's real, I mean yeah, we can get more involved in different things, in different ways, different areas, go to meetings, stuff like that. But when it really gets down to brass tacks, that's the only thing we can do is go vote. And, and, and that... I, that is the beauty of America. That is the beauty of America. So uh, I suggest people to exercise that right. It's one of the few you have left. Well, that's just it. You know, a lot of people think that we're entitled. There ain't nobody on the face of this earth entitled to anything. No. No. You have a privilege, and that privilege has to be earned. And, that's right. You know, that's where a lot of them people up there in Washington, D.C. have lost sight of that, in my opinion, Jeff. And we just need to get them out of there. You know, get out of the way. Let us do our job. You're doing your job. I'm doing my job. We're running this country in a sense. We're running this country. And the ones that don't want to try to run this country in the right way, step out of the way and let somebody else do it. That's just the way I look at it. And I, I, agree, I agree with the with the four-year term limit. I know what you're saying that in some instances, in some cases, people need longer than four years but if you put a four-year term limit on some of them people up there in washington dc that'll give them the incentive or the motivation to do their job a lot of them up there think well i'm just going to get voted in next time because you know somebody somebody's not going to vote or whatever and i'll just win it over that way and their mindset that way and they think they get up there and they can stay up there forever and ever amen it's just not right well, the cronyism sets in after a while. And I personally believe on the federal level that probably eight years in the House and 12 years in the Senate, that's enough. That's enough. That's two terms in the Senate. That's four terms in the House because they run every two years. And, 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 then, and then it becomes more of the party and what the principles of the party are 
and hopefully they can adhere to that because the party will gain the control, not the bureaucracy of the of the actual staff and, and the different ones in their office. So it would get it, to me, it, it would make it become more about theory and principle than about survival and retaining. And, and that's what happens now. Once they're there, then it's the, the job is to figure out how to stay there. And, and that's not well, what it was meant about, to be. That's not the way it was meant to be. Think about 25 years ago when 9-11 happened. You think about it, George W. was our president. And in his defense, I will say that, you know, the first term, the first term that he served, he was trying to deal with them planes bombing our buildings. You know, and that's – and he couldn't really get anything else done for the first year and a half, two years because of that happening. So, you know, you – you get, yeah, he got voted in again and worked another term. You know, so he, realistically, he had about five years, maybe six years top. All right, we're back here with the next segment of the show. We're good to about eleven thirty, and we're going to bring our guest in. But I think I still got William out there. William, are you still there? Yes, sir. I, I am. Appreciate you allowing me all this air time. That's all I feel right, like man. a celebrity. Well, you you you're kind of doing my job for me because that's the thing I was going to talk about was the indictment in Georgia and talk about the debate. And so you've kind of brought both those up. You know, I will say there is a I guess what we all call a silver lining. You know, you don't want any kind of disaster or whatever to go unwasted or unused. Uh, uh, Donald yeah. Trump raised about seven million dollars uh, from uh, the Thursday when he went and got the mugshot till I think it was uh, midnight Friday. So, uh, so there's some money poured in. You know, I don't know if that's what they were looking for, but that's what they got. But, but back to the debate. I will say this much: I thought Ron DeSantis did what he had to do. Out of all the ones on the stage, he was in the lead in the polls, and I thought he held his own. And, and I thought he had good answers, and I thought he participated at the level he should, and was respectful, but also yet very firm. And I thought he did good, and I thought Nikki Haley did good uh, i think she was kind of you know she's worked as a, at a deficit to a point and and so that that brought her out i thought rest of them i thought everybody else probably took a step back and ramaswamy i i don't know what to say about him I, i'm not sure what he is he's uh he's something i, I don't either <laughs> i don't know that i can trust him to be honest with you i mean i did watch uh, not the, all the debate but i watched a little bit of it caught the highlights and stuff and i agree with you on Nikki Haley, and I agree with you on Ron DeSantis, those two candidates seem like they were thinking past their noses yeah. towards the future. Well, and, and the rest of them, they just satirized each other and wanted to talk about the past and all that. And I, I just, you know, we need to quit talking about the past. Um, mm-hmm. The insurrection happened. It's over with. Was it right? Was it wrong? Doesn't matter. It's over with. Let's get on with it. We got to go towards the future. Yeah. In the future, we've got a target on our back. We've had a target on our back well, for you, years and years because we're the greatest nation in the world. Yeah, I, and, I, and I, I watched that Fannie Willis uh, news conference where she read out the indictments and all the different stuff, and I'm just sitting there going, is somebody limp-seeking for her because this looks like a puppet act. I mean, it is just, after watching the guy up there in New York do his thing and, and going after, I mean, it's just the same, it's just like it was read over. And over again, it's the same play. It's the same play. They just keep running the same play and telling what it is. And I mean, it just looked like a puppet court. I, I you know, is is this how it's going to be? Well, is this is this what America's supposed to be? What they're doing? It's crazy. Uh, you, Tracy you know, Abrams. 
talk right now to a lot of different people in the world. We're, they're looking at us and they're thinking that we're we're just silly. And it's really not the puppets that we got to worry about, Jeff. It's the puppeteer. Oh yeah, that's who we worry about. Well, uh, uh, Stacey Abrams down there questioned the the what 2016 election. What I think it was for. I don't know how, I, good gosh, for two or three, four years, still doing it, saying it wasn't right. Nobody said, and that was in Georgia. Nobody said a thing about what she tried to do. But all of a sudden, you know, oh, Trump, he, he tried to force arms. Well, I'd say Stacey Abram come closer to overthrowing an election for governor than Trump did for president. She did everything she could in crooked Fulton County, in Fulton County to get what she wanted, and it still couldn't work out for her. Confirm what we knew all along, Jeff when they did what they did last week to Donald Trump and all it is trying to eliminate him in the race because they know if that man gets back up there in Washington, D.C., there's going to be a bunch of people. He's going to treat it like the apprentice. You're fired. <laughs> and they know that. You know, they know that. They know that, Jeff. They know who they are. All these people that I'm speaking of, they know who they are. Mm-hmm. And Donald Trump will call them out. He's going to call them out and he's going to fire them. And they know that, and the reason why they're trying to keep him from getting back up there. Yeah, and you know what? I'll say this. I think probably his biggest mistake when he was in his first term is he didn't fire deep enough. He only fired some on the very top, and you got to go six and seven layers deep to clean out. You, if you're going to do anything at all, you've got to get in there deep because they've been entrenched for a long time. And that's and oh, that's yeah. that's what they want. That's what they want. Well, good they talking with you. Do what? That's right. That's right. Good talking with you, William. Good talking with you. All right. You take care, Jeff. Thanks again for all your time. Well, thank you, sir. See you. All right. Real quick, going to talk up a little bit more. If anybody else wants to call in, we got about six minutes to pull that off. So give me a holler if you want to. Uh, Tropical storm Idly. I think that's the way you pronounce it, Idly. Um, is heading towards Florida's west coast. Uh, Governor DeSantis, who we just talked about in the uh, debates, uh, is in charge of emergency management basically down there. That's the way Florida structure works, and they've got going on. They've done got 1,100 National Guard called up and 1,200 high-water uh, vehicles. So they, uh, no, excuse me, I think 2,200. So they got a bunch of equipment ready to go. They're not going to be caught with their pants down. So I'm looking forward to this. I ain't got a little bit more to say on that, but we got a caller. Let's see who we got here. Hey, this is Representative Jeff McNeely. Who we got? Hey, Jeff. This is Don Campbell. How you doing? Hey, Don. I'm good. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. What you got I, going uh, on? I got a question. Uh, maybe you can give me some info on it. Out here on 21, Turnsburg Road. Yes, sir. I, I see they really starting to tear some houses down. They've got several of them tore down, working on some more. Do you think that construction is going to start anytime soon? Uh, the 21, as soon as they can get all the right-of-ways, and I think they finally did. Uh, Fairview was one of the last ones because they were really concerned about how it may close them in. Uh, I think they uh-huh. finally, we finally got some stuff worked out with that. Me and uh, Vicky Sawyer both went out there, oh, I don't know, it's been six, seven months ago now. It's been a while. And, and worked with them on it. And uh, so we, I, I think they got the right of ways done. I look for that construction to probably start next spring. And there may be some oh. there may be some clearing of houses and stuff during the winter, but I look for them to really start getting in on it next spring. It's online. Man, that. That'd be great. It's, it well, it's gonna be it's gonna be a mess for a while, but it's gonna be good oh, when it gets done. 
It's going to be good. Yeah. And it, and it will expand that corridor. It will make that corridor. You'll start seeing stuff happen up it. It'll take off. Oh, gosh. I hope so. Yeah. Yep. All righty. Well, thank you very much, Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. Appreciate, you. Appreciate what you do for us. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. See you. Uh, getting back on the hurricane, the thing that we're worried about here in North Carolina on the ag side is uh, our corn crops starting to really come, especially on the eastern side of the state. Uh, they're already harvesting, and so we're wide open. And they got about two inches, I believe, last night down that way, somewhere in that way. Of course, we had a pretty bad storm here, folks. Had some trees down the station, so I hope everybody's okay. I haven't heard of fatalities or anything. but uh, So we're worried about this year's corn crop. It's the most expensive crop that uh, farmers have ever had to put in the ground because uh, of uh, some of Bidenomics, uh, the, the spending packages and whatnot cause fertilizer and fuel and everything to be astronomical back there. Still high, but uh, unbelievably high back in February, March, April when plant time was going on. And so this crop's real important. If they don't get it out of the, out of the ground and into the bins, uh, that's going to break a lot of them. It's going to be really hard. They're going to barely break even unless they have a heck of a yield. And so I've been working with uh, Secretary Boyette uh, at the Department of Transportation trying to get it where uh, actually allow our farmers to uh, be able to load their trucks heavier than normal so we make less trips so we can get it out of the field. That, that's actually what takes a little bit longer, folks. So if they can haul a little heavier and we give them a little bit of leeway, but this is going to give them a little bit more. Got to have farm tags. Can be limited probably to about 50 to 100 miles from the farm in case they're hauling to a grain rear instead of back to the farm. So this is something we're trying to do to make sure this crop don't get blown down because they're running 24-7 right now down east. We're not ready for it up here. Our corn ain't dried down as much, thank goodness. It's getting there, so we'll have some problems with high wind, but not as much as they will down east. Once that corn stalk dries out, something's got to give. Uh, is that my caller? I'm a guess. All right, so we're working on that. I'll get back with uh, with Secretary Boyette probably later today and see what happened. Hopefully the governor uh, trying to get Roy Cooper to do some kind of a little bit of an emergency management move here and allow for some help so we can get this done. So uh, just pray that uh, the storm's not as bad as they say it's going to be. It could be a hurricane uh, t uh, one or two, uh, and hopefully by the time it makes us, maybe it'll just be dissipated out and we'll get a little rain. That's what we're hoping for. So anyway, one thing I did want to bring up that I thought was interesting, I always like to do this kind of right before the split of the hour, Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic Bank out in California both had huge wine collections as assets uh, for their bank. Uh, and so now that they're both out of business, FDIC, their job is to come in kind of and liquidate all the assets. They sold a lot of them. To I think it was uh, I'm trying to remember who bought it now. Why it was it Truist? I ain't sure on that. I have to get back to you on who purchased what. But uh, they did not purchase the huge wine collection when they bought the assets. They mainly took banks and buildings uh, and stuff like that. So uh, they're going to have to auction off the wine, and it looks like it's probably going to be pennies on the dollar. And I know they're in California, but. Taking wine as your uh, asset or whatever that you're going to put a lien against. And they had very expensive wine cellars built in the bottom of these banks to protect this wine. Uh, I, I just kind of crazy that that would be on your balance sheet. But, uh, you know, they're, we're talking millions of dollars worth of wine. This is expensive wine. This is, this is not the $7 ripple. 
Mad Dog 2020 and something like that. This is high dollar. And so anyway, uh, and, and I'm sure some people out there saying, well, that wine probably improved in, in value. Well, it would if it would have been sold and marketed the right way, but the way it's going to go now, be watching the Internet and you get a heck of a deal, I guess, on some wine if you can get it shipped to you without busting it all to pieces. So uh, just one of those little things that you hear and you wonder, well, now, why did that bank go broke? Hmm. Well, they don't know it even went broke. They're still sipping wine and wondering what happened to so uh, interesting, interesting uh, little tidbits there. So, all right, we're getting ready to go to the break. Got Representative Wayne Sasser already on the line. Hang tight, folks. It's going to be good. That's some serious jam there. Of course, you know, I'm playing the guitar because I do that. Anyway, all right, all right, we're back here. Got uh, my good friend, Representative Wayne Sasser, on the phone. Let's see if we can bring Wayne in. Hey, Wayne, are you there? Yes, sir. Turn good him morning. up just a little bit. Good morning, good morning. How you doing? Good. Living the dream, buddy. Hope you are. Oh, yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Well, uh, you know, glad to have you on. And, folks, let me tell you what started all this. I'm sitting there the other day. We've been off for the last week or two. Well, we've been, I say we've been off. I'm still working like crazy. I'm just doing it more from home instead of Raleigh. And, and I was on the, watching the TV, and this commercial came on. And it was basically saying Bernie Sanders is going to raise your drug costs because he's going after pharmacy benefit managers Call Ted Budd and make sure you get this killed, Ted. Now, I don't know how many of y'all saw this. I saw it on WSOC Channel 9. I'm sure a lot of people saw it, and they probably think, oh, my goodness, I need to call Ted Budd. Well, I'm going to tell you what. I don't know if Bernie should take credit for this, but what Bernie's doing is a wonderful thing. Call Ted Budd and tell him to make sure they get rid of PBMs. So that'll be that'll be the talk at the end when we talk about pharmacy benefit managers. But first, let's talk a little bit about Wayne Sasser. Wayne, tell us who you are, where you're from, what all you've been up to. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, I'm uh, the representative for uh, House District 67, which is all of Stanley County and all of Montgomery County, right in the middle of Piedmont, North Carolina. Uh, this is my third term. Uh, Jeff and I came in together as, as freshmen. And uh, so this has been a, uh, it gets more interesting every year. And <laughs> this year I've, I've uh, been able not only to be a, be a health uh, committee chair, but I'm on uh, what's called big appropriations. So there are uh, 10 of us on the house side that get to sit in a room from nine o'clock in the morning till eight o'clock at night and uh and spend the 30 billion dollar budget that the state of north carolina has so uh, it's been very interesting it's been uh educational and uh, as much hard work as it is i've really enjoyed it well good and i know you're doing a great job and i i go to wayne now and say wayne let me tell you what i need <laughs> So, exactly. Anyway. Well, now, all right, let me ask you this. As far as the budget, now I'm getting everybody and their brother, and I know you are since you're one I call one of the big chairs. Uh, what are we thinking? We still think it's going to happen the week of the September 11th, sometime in there, you think? Well, you're, you're like me, Jeff. We, uh, uh, we're we being told we're going to vote on it the week of, of September the 11th, but I tell people that uh, these are the same people that were telling us we were going to have a budget June the 30th. So mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. it's a little bit above mine and your pay grade. So, uh, But we've pretty much got everything worked out. We've got everything done as far as 
and spending the money, balancing the budget, and all that kind of stuff. But even above our pay grade is the corner offices, and they make the final decisions, and there's some policy things that hadn't 100% been agreed upon. But we're, we're so close, we could do what we've got done and solve some of those other problems later on and get the budget done and get everybody their their raises and yes. the good thing about, you know we're getting fast a little bit you know I, I need my raise it'll go back till to july the first everybody will get their raise money but yep. nobody's losing anything it's just they don't have it in their pocket today but i'm i'm encouraged that we'll be ready the week of uh September the 11th and get this budget done. And it's a good budget. Well, I, and I think it is. When it's not going to be all said and done, I think, you know, I, I put out something. I've got a fundraiser coming up here in, in, in Stacheville or out in Ardell County at FOP on the 14th of September. Hope, hopefully I'll make my own fundraiser. We won't be stuck there voting until 4 in the morning. Well, you never know. But uh, Have been, haven't we? Yes, we have. Yes, we have. And so, uh, but I, I think it will be good. And, and like I said, I've told people, you know, you're going to get you're going to get a good little check. Uh, if you're a state employee, teacher, or whatever, you know, for the back couple months here that we missed. So it's coming. Uh, you know, this year it seems like, to me, more things went to the corner offices than in the past almost. But now I don't know that because I've never had been, you know, into the inner inner circle. But it just seems like that couple times I sit in in a row myself just listening, uh, a lot of things are going to the going to the corner office. A lot of things are going. And, and folks, that's that's the Speaker's office, and that's the President Pro Tem of the Senate's office, Phil Berger, Tim Moore's Speaker. So a lot of decisions. Upper, manage, upper, upper, upper management made a lot of decisions in this budget for sure. Yes, sir, you're exactly correct. Well, and now we'll, we'll and being a health chair, uh, you you have a unique perspective. You were there all through the COVID stuff, and you've seen all that, and and now we're on the backside of the COVID pandemic, and and now now it's the mental health part of it. Y'all are getting bombarded on the mental health, and and then in senior care because of inflation. Uh, are we able to do much as far as mental health? You think in this budget, or you don't know yet? No, no, I do know, and and specifically because of Medicaid expansion, um, and that would be a conversation all in its own. But we'll, generally, we'll have uh, you back uh, on the show for that. <laughs> the, reason, yeah, the reason the state of North Carolina finally expanded Medicaid uh, was from day one with Obamacare, the, the state of North Carolina was being charged for Medicaid expansion through, uh, sorry about that, through, uh, um, through premium, you know, and everybody that, that buys insurance where you're an employer or an individual knows that about 2012 that all our premiums doubled. Well, yeah. a lot of that money went to expand Medicaid. North Carolina chose not to sign on to that even though we were paying for it some of the reasons were like for instance with regular medicaid and you know i i I just tell people no good deed goes unpunished but every year the state of north carolina pays a larger percentage for paying for medicaid than we did the year before because we do such a good job 
and we didn't want to sign on to Medicaid expansion and it go from the 10% that it started at and then at, and then we look out 10 years from now, we're paying 50%. So, and there's a so chance that could happen. There's we we put ourselves you know, in that predicament, so we'll see. There, we did put that was, we did put that caveat in there. We did put the caveat in there. Stop that though. Exactly. Some other states, Ohio being one, uh, have passed in their Medicaid expansion bill that if the federal government goes up any, then automatically the Medicaid expansion is canceled. So first of all, I'd like to say. Medicaid expansion is not costing anybody in North Carolina one additional penny in any kind of taxes. I said additional because they're already paying for it. That's right. It does cost the state of North Carolina 10%. But, again, watching what some other states have done, that 10% is being paid by the hospitals. Now, the hospitals are going to get a bunch of money out of Medicaid expansion. Oh, yeah. Not, Not just by taking care of more patients that'll be paid for instead of paying for with indigent care, but because of something called HASP, you know, it's another one of those synonym type things, but but they get a lot of, of federal money with Medicaid expansion. The other thing that we did, and we need to do some more of it, but we did away with a lot of the CON uh, protections that hospitals have Probably need to do away with all of it, but it'll be a slow process. But yeah, we tried to help. We tried to help the rural hospitals, but not taking it away from them so much, so that way they could survive. Exactly right. So, get back to, to answering your question about mental health. We got one point five billion dollars, and some people don't like my terminology, but I called it a bribe, uh, <laughs> and we took the bribe. And uh, but what we could do with that one point five billion dollars is anything we wanted to do. So what the House did with their half of that money, we put it towards mental health. Okay. And, uh, and, and we're expanding through DHHS a lot of uh, emergency response and, and those type things. You, you can do quite a bit with $750 million. Now, the, the, the uh, Senate on their side with their part of the money, they're going to build a and I call it a Taj Mahal, but I'm kind of a cliche-type individual anyway. Mm-hmm. But they're going to build like a $2 billion uh, hospital complex for UNC hospital system that is just for uh, children. And and it's going to be directed towards mental health. So, so most of all that money, that one point, Five billion dollars is going to go towards mental health, which is probably the biggest issue, uh, at least the biggest health issue that we have in this country. Oh yeah, I, it, it, as the pandemic, it pulled the curtain back on on the unbelievable amount of issues we've got, and, and especially with younger younger people, uh, our children, uh, teenagers. Um, we, I don't know what we've done, but we've we've messed up, <laughs> and we've got to we try to get that fixed. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Well, all right, real quick, uh, we got about thirty seconds, so we really can't get into it much. But uh, me and me and uh, Wayne have been working on a hemp CBD regulation bill. We're going to take a break for about a minute and a half, Wayne, at eleven forty-five. So we got about thirty seconds. Um, 
Wayne started this ball. I kind of picked it up. I've been trying to punch it across the goal line. Uh, we think it's going to be a really good thing. So when we get back, we'll talk about it for just a little bit, and then we're going to talk about these PBMs. So 10 seconds here clicking away. Stay tuned, folks. Hang tight, Wayne. We're going to be right back. Hold on, folks. All right, back here for the last segment of the show. Let me see if we can get Wayne pulled back up. Hey, Wayne, are you there? Yes, sir. All right, sorry about that. we got to pay the bills around here, so we got to do some commercials here and there. But anyway, real quick, back on the hemp CBD uh, regulation. Like I said, Wayne, you started that bill. I kind of tried to pick it up and run with it, and it morphed from an idea to a, a war and peace novel just about, as far as how many pages of the bill. <laughs> but I think we got a good quality product. we just got to get it done now. we got to get it across the finish line. Exactly. I started that bill five years ago and not throwing anybody under the bus, but to not get anybody at the Department of Agriculture was interested in the bill. Me neither. They felt like, I think, trying to read their mind that maybe it was going to hurt the hemp industry. And that never was any intention of, of the bill at all. It was just to make sure that, that some of the people that are selling those products are regulated and, and they're not selling products that's going to allow people under the age of 18 to purchase those products and they're not going to sell any products that are illegal as far as the laws and the regulations for the state of North Carolina. So, uh, And you, you deserve all the credit because yeah. you're the one that's taken it and ran with it and got, got an agency that's willing to regulate it. And, uh, and I think the, uh, the mamas and, and dads across this state that, that have they're young people that are being able to buy products out of those places that are should not be sold to them and are not legal are going to be happy with this bill. And we're going to get across the finish line, thanks to you. Well, I, I'm pushing hard as I can, I can tell you that, and I appreciate your help on it too, trying to get her worked into the budget or get her over to the other side. So we're going to see what we can get done with it, but it, it will be good. All right, well, let's get into it. Y'all, you need to listen real close here. As Wayne explains what a pharmacy benefit manager is and how it works, and then call up your local pharmacist and tell them you're sorry. All right, Wayne, explain what where this pharmacy benefit manager come from and how it works. Okay, thank you, Jeff. And 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 this is extremely complicated. It's not an easy uh, process to understand, and and that's by design. So we'll talk a little bit. What are our PBMs and their pharmacy benefit managers? And the definition of that is they're health care middlemen who play a pivotal role in managing prescription drug benefits. And they do that job for health insurance plans, employers, government programs like Medicare Part D. And, and it, they actually do a very important job because they negotiate prices, uh, they get discounts from drug manufacturers. They establish formularies. Uh, they collaborate with pharmacies to process claims. But the problem is there's no transparency. So most of the money that they're making in doing this process, they keep the money. <laughs> and so you would think, well, you know, they're they're a private company out here and you know, so you can negotiate with somebody else and, and get somebody that, that does it 
you know, legally or fairly. But the reality is all the PBMs are owned by large insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the three big insurance companies, which is United Healthcare and Cigna and CBS Caremark, own the three biggest PBMs. And so there, there is no separation. It's all integrated. And what, what those big insurance companies have found, if they don't want to be regulated, they put the process over on the PBM side, which has little or no regulation, and take a company like United Healthcare, which nets about $20 billion a year in profits, and you think, oh, man, that's an enormous amount of money, and it is, but a big health company like United Healthcare has a lot of liability. And so probably maybe $20 billion is a fair return on investment for the amount of liability they have. You go over to all those big health insurance companies, they own mail-order pharmacies. They, order, they own specialty pharmacies, which is all the high-dollar stuff Com- and about compounding. the money. Yeah. Half the money that's spent in pharmacy in the United States is spent under specialty pharmacies. Mm. So they own all those specialty pharmacies, which they force their customers to get those prescriptions from specialty pharmacies. You can't walk down to your, you know, your local pharmacy and get those things. And then they all own PBMs. And those three big PBMs manage 80% of the prescriptions that are filled in this country. So their business model is they make so much money getting rebates off from drug manufacturers. And, of course, all the drug manufacturers are going to do is if the cost was $500 and they're having to pay a $100 rebate, then they raise the price to $600. I mean, they don't <laughs> eat that money. They just pass it on. And uh, so... By in a company like United Healthcare, out of that twenty billion dollars in profit, four billion dollars of it is made off the PBM. So mm. the PBM is making so much money, they will go to the to the pharmacies that you know have to pay rent and employees and light bills and all that kind of stuff, and they will actually pay them cost to fill a prescription maybe pay them, you don't believe this, but 50 cents to fill a prescription. And the reason they can do that is they want to take those customers and and put them under their mail order pharmacies that they own and take them away from the local pharmacies, which are there when you need a prescription filled at 3 o'clock in the morning or mm-hmm. you're coming back from the doctor's office with a sore throat and you need a prescription and you can't wake wait a week to uh, to get it uh, from the mail order. And and what they can afford to do by doing that stuff under under cost is they're trying to put the little small independent pharmacies That's it. out of business where they have no competition. And it's not like they're losing anything because they're making all their money on the PBM side and they'll take a loss. It's kind of like selling milk. And I'm talking to the milkman, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. We sell milk out of the grocery store at a loss. Well, they're they're filling prescriptions at a loss, 
but they're making it up on the PBM side. So that's kind of complicated, but that's pretty much, you know, what's going on. Well, this is the way I've always saw it. All right, so I I go to the doctor, and I got high cholesterol, and they – write me a prescription for a statin, one of them, whichever it is. And I go to my local pharmacist that I like to use. Then it's the girls out at Island Pharmacy. Shout out to them. I go there, take it to them. And, and I take, you know, I take it for three months and I do like I'm supposed to and eat a lot of salads and my cholesterol goes down. And then I realize, well, you know, maybe I don't have to eat as many salads and I may not take it every day because it kind of gives me a little bit of a soreness and I feel kind of a little weak, you know. A muscle yeah. yeah. So, so the next three months, I don't take it quite as regular as I should, and I don't eat as many salads as I did, and my cholesterol goes back up some. Well, then the doctor reports this. I come in for my six-month checkup and reports, well, it, the drug's not working as well as it was. And so the insurance company, through the PBM, goes back and tells the pharmacist that filled the prescription that the drug didn't work like it was supposed to, so you owe me money back, even though the pharmacist had nothing to do with this other than they sold the drug that was prescribed. Is that not about a true story? Well, that, that, that's the third way that they make money. They make money, and, and they, they call it spread uh, pricing. They will, they will come to you as a company owner and say, you know, we're going to sell you this insurance and on your prescription, we're going to give you 80% off of AWP. Well, that's got to be a good deal, right? Yeah. (laughs) But we don't know what AWP is and AWP is a made up uh, term. So they can make it anything they want to. Then they go to the drugstore and they're going to pay the drugstore MAC, which is MAC, minus 10%. So, but the difference in those two could be three times what the cost of the drug is. So they're making, the, the PBMs are making money off of, of rebates from drug manufacturers. They're making money off of spread pricing as far as what they're charging the who buys the insurance, the company or the individual, and what they pay the pharmacy to fill it. And then the third thing is, is called clawback, which is what you're talking yeah. about. Clawback. So they come back, and it may be, like you said, six months later, and say, okay, this this medicine didn't work like it should have according to these tests, so we're not going to pay you for it, or we're only going to pay you 50%. I mean, they make up the rules. Yeah. It's not a negotiated uh, process because there's no competition. It's a monopoly, and they work for the the health insurance company, and they make the rules. So uh, it's not like you sit down and say, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do this, because we know CVS is going to do it because they're owned by Caremark, and if they lose money, they're making a profit on the PBM side, like selling that milk at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's more stuff in the weeds than than any of us can keep up with, and there's no transparency. But well. You're spot on with what's going on. Yeah, folks, if we're getting close to the end, i got to save my prayers to hold tight, Wayne. But uh, go to your local pharmacies. Help them. They need your help. It's not easy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Lord, we just thank you. Dear Lord, we pray that everything's right and just in this world, but it's not. But we pray that you protect us and watch over us and be with us and lead and guide us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Hey, Wayne, thank you. We'll talk soon.
See y'all. Take care. You've been listening to North Carolina Representative Jeff McNeely. Join Jeff again next Monday morning at 11.05 for Taking Care of Iredell on News Talk WSIC.